Matthew chapter 24, we're going to pick it up where we left off last Wednesday night, and that would be in verse 15. Matthew 24, verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulations such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. For the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand, therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner room, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Then they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Lord, as we now turn our attention to your word, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would be our teacher tonight. God, we need to hear your voice so desperately, not just to have more Bible information. Lord, we love that. We love to grow in our knowledge of your word. But Lord, that we might know you and be like you in our day-to-day life. And we pray that in Jesus' name tonight. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We are now within a few studies of being done with this being discipled by Jesus. And uh, good things ahead after that too. But uh, we've spent time in the Sermon on the Mount looking at Jesus setting aside his disciples and saying to them, hey, this is how you're salt and light in the culture and community in which I have placed you. We looked in the middle of Jesus' ministry in Matthew chapter 10 where he narrowed down many disciples to 12 disciples. And then Matthew 16 where he kind of took them on a retreat and said, who do men say that I am? And he taught them that they're going to have to deny themselves and take up their cross and follow him. We've been through John 13 through 17. Again, Jesus just with his disciples in that upper room pouring into them secrets for life and ministry. Well, now we're looking at the longest answer that Jesus ever gave to any one single question. And again, he's addressing his disciples. Jesus had just been a little rough on those Pharisees and Sadducees in Matthew 24. He'd called them snakes and vipers, whitewashed tombs. And the disciples, when they heard that, said to him, Hey, Jesus, consider the temple. Look at this great building that Judaism has created. It can't be all bad. And it gave Jesus a great opportunity to say, oh, you see that temple? Not one stone shall be left upon another. Not one. Jesus gave this first prophecy of Matthew 24, as we looked at last week, really to remind them, hey, your eyes need to be on me. 
not on Judaism, not on man, not on a temporary building or structure. Your eyes have to be on me. It was him they needed to cling to. But there was a far greater reason than even that. Jesus knew that their next question, the, ne- the question that would, res- would, would bring on the, the longest response ever to any question that was ever asked of Jesus. He knew it was going to involve prophecy. And Jesus also knew that there's something in our human flesh that whenever we hear about the future, we naturally are skeptical. Really? Really that's going to happen? Really, Lord? So Jesus gives them a prophecy they would have seen fulfilled in their lifetime. That temple, though unlikely as they would have thought, would be torn, torn down stone by stone. That's exactly what happened in 70 AD. And Jesus wanted to remember that because he wanted them to understand when he says something, it will come to pass no matter how unlikely it seems. And he wants to instill that confidence in them again because he knows what they were going to ask next there in verse 3. Lord, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus spends the rest of Matthew 24 answering that question and basically outlining for the disciples the time period still to come on planet earth known as the great tribulation period. We can break up Matthew 24 this way. The outline will be up there on the screen. The, first, the verses we covered last week, 24, 4 through 14, are the events of the first half of the Great Tribulation. They tie into Revelation chapter 6 as we looked at last week. Then in Matthew 24, verses 15 through 20, we have the events of the middle part of the Great Tribulation. And then finally, uh, verses 21 through 31, the events of the second half of the Tribulation leading up to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked at the events of the first half of the tribulation. As Jesus said, how will you know I'm coming? You're going to see wars and rumors of wars and famines and pestilences, diseases, as well as earthquakes in various places. And Jesus spoke of these things, friends, as birth pains. And what we noticed last week is that that means that these things will get more intense and closer together as the coming of Christ comes. But there's always been earthquakes, there's always been wars, there's always been famines, but they will grow in intensity, they will get closer together, and then, right before the Lord comes back, the seven years leading up to the Lord coming back, they will find their ultimate fulfillment, the ultimate false Christ, Antichrist, the ultimate war, world war, whatever, hopefully it's three, because... If it's four or five, we're in big trouble. But World War III and, and, and the devastation that that will bring, the, the ultimate famine and pestilence and earthquake is coming to planet Earth. Now again, some would say, really? Pastor Jason, really? There's gonna be a real guy named Antichrist? Is he gonna have a badge on that says Mr. Antichrist? I mean, re- probably not, by the way. But, but, but really? I mean, there's gonna be a, a billion people dying in a battle. There's gonna be a great earthquake affecting the whole world. Really? Well, again, like we say in Texas, remember the Alamo. Bible students say, remember the temple. Remember the temple. Jesus said not one stone will be left upon another. And as crazy as the disciples thought that was going to be, as unlikely as they thought that fulfillment would happen, it did exactly, literally, as Jesus said, just 40 years after he uttered it. And it's evidence that everything he says in this chapter, everything it said in this book, is going to come to pass. So tonight we're going to consider the rest of that tribulation period starting in verse 15 and we'll see the events of the middle of the tribulation. Look in verse 15. It says, Therefore when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. 
Then those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those that are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. When we talk about the tribulation having two halves, two three and a half year periods, they are divided by an event that the Bible calls the abomination that makes desolate. And Jesus there in verse 15 says it comes from an understanding of this abomination that makes desolate comes from Daniel, well the book of Daniel and and we know Daniel chapter 9. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, you really need to listen up. Because Jesus says, let him who reads understand. You see, it's not just Pastor Jason tonight or Pastor Rob tonight saying to you, hey, you better get this, write these things down. This is Jesus saying, if you don't understand the abomination that makes desolate, that is something as a Christian, as a disciple, you have got to get down. So we need to camp out here for just a few minutes tonight. In fact, I told you to mark your place in Daniel 9. Here's why. Now it's time to go there. Daniel chapter 9, I want to look at a few things out of that chapter and then we'll come back to Matthew 24 and wrap the study up. But in Daniel chapter 9, he is given a radical prophecy. Daniel chapter 9, we'll read from verse 20 on to give the context. Verse 20 of Daniel chapter 9, Now while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, a man Gabriel, whom I had seen in a vision being uh, at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. And the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end of it will be with a flood and uh, until the end of the wars desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week but in the middle of that week he shall bring an end to sacrifices and offerings and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Most of you have a complete understanding of what that means. Some of you are going, huh, What? What in the world? Weeks and abomination and and what? Understand the context of Daniel chapter 9. Daniel is interceding for Israel. He's repenting of sin. He's communing with God. And as he's doing this, he gets a wonderful word from the Lord. And there is a lesson, friends, for us in that. So many times I hear people say, I'm not hearing from the Lord. He isn't speaking to me. And my question always immediately is, are you spending time with him? Are you taking time in in that early part of the day to crack open the word even for 15 minutes and just quiet your heart in a quiet place and hear from him? I know we're Calvary Chapel. I know we've heard that so many times. But I think as I said last week, are you doing that? 
Are you actually doing that? Because, you know, so often we think, well, the Lord isn't speaking to me. Uh, you know, or we say, you know, the Lord speaks to me through TV or movies or video games. Hey, listen, I'm not saying the Lord can't speak through movies and TV and music. The Lord does speak to me through TV and music and movies. Usually, it goes something like this. What are you watching? That's usually what happens. I'm watching something like, what are you doing? This is crazy. Is this the best use of your time right now? Oh, tackle him. Knock his head off. Really, Pastor Jason? Knock his head off. Is that what you said as you looked at the screen? That's usually how the Lord speaks to me through TV. Friends, you know as well as I do that he speaks to you and me through his word. Whether it's being taught corporately as we're doing tonight or individually as we crack it open, that still small voice to our heart as we spend time with him, this is what Daniel was doing. He was given one of the most radical prophecies of the entire Old Testament. The the angel tells Daniel, 70 weeks are determined upon my people. Now you Bible students know, but if not, write it down and understand. That word weeks is heptad. And it means a week of years or a seven-year period of time. You know, we don't have that kind of phraseology of a seven-year period of time in English, but we do have an equivalent. If I said to you, I'm going on a little vacation, I'll be back in a decade. You would say, what? A decade? You get 10 years off? No, no, I never said 10 years, but you understand decade means 10-year period of time. If I said, congratulations, you'll live to be a century. I don't know if you're happy about that or not, but you understand what that means. You've got 100 years in front of you. We have terms that, 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 that help us to understand a period of time, and so do the Hebrew people. And heptad is one of these that means a seven-year period of time. Daniel's told that there's 70 of these, or 70 times seven, 490 years that God's going to be working specifically with the nation of Israel. And in verse 25 of Daniel chapter 9, he tells you when that time period begins. He says, when you hear the command to go forth and restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Now, there have been three decrees to do this in biblical times. Cyrus the Persian gave a command to rebuild the temple and the temple only. There was the decree of Darius who backed up the command of Cyrus to rebuild the temple only. And then there was the decree of Artaxerxes to not just build the temple, but the city and the wall. And it happened in 445 BC. So we have the time to start counting. This decree from Artaxerxes in 445 BC. And then Daniel chapter 9 breaks that 490 years from that moment into three sections. If you see there, it starts in saying that, um, you know, no one therefore understand that go from the going forth, this is verse 25, to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. There's your first two parts. The first part is seven weeks of years, or 400 or 49 years. What happened in that first 49 years? That's how long it took Nehemiah and the gang to rebuild the temple and the city and the walls of Jerusalem. Then 62 more weeks, or you add the two together, and you get 483 years, and what happened? Oh, it's amazing. We covered this actually the, the week before Easter, I believe. But, but if you start counting from that, that day that Artaxerxes gave the command, 483 years to the day Jesus walked in to the city of Jerusalem, declaring himself to be king. It was a day like no other day. It was a day when normally people would say, you're the Messiah. Remember what Jesus would say? He'd say, shh, 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 don't tell anybody. 
Just, just go, don't, don't tell anybody, which seems odd, but that's what he would do. But on this day, he arranges the worship. Go get a donkey. Let the palm branches go. Hey, stop your disciples. Hey, if they stop, even the rocks are going to cry out. Don't you wish they would have stopped for a second to see what really would have happened? If rocks were like, oh, wouldn't that have been awesome? That would have been so cool to see. 483 years to the day where Jesus enters Jerusalem. But then verse 26 says, after that, Messiah is going to be cut off in English, karat in the Hebrew, and it means to be punished for a capital crime. Punished for a capital crime, but not for himself. Exactly what happened to Jesus. He endured capital punishment, but not for himself. It was for you and for me. Jesus fulfilled it perfectly. Then the second event, the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city. About 40 years after the death of Christ, Titus Vespasian came and destroyed the the temple and the city. The prince who is to come is the Antichrist, the leader of the reemergence of the Roman Empire. Vespasian was Roman or the people, the prince who was to come. This has been fulfilled completely and exactingly. But the prophecy seems to skip a lot of time because all of us understand Though it's cool, it was 483 years to the day from the time that Artaxerxes gave that command until Jesus walked in Jerusalem. It's been a lot longer than those seven missing years between that day and tonight. What happened? When Jesus entered Jerusalem, his people, the Jewish people, as a majority, rejected Jesus as their Messiah. They said what? We will not have this man to rule over us. Let his blood be upon us and our children. And Jesus began to work with a whole new group of people made up of Jews and Gentiles, made up of slave and free, made up of men and women, a group known as the, come on gang, the church. That's right, be loud and proud. The church, that's right, the church, the church. And he's been working for the, with the church for almost, almost 2,000 years now. 2,000 years But there's coming a day when God is going to again complete this 490 year period of time. You see, it's kind of like a chess match, those really, the really ones. I mean, not just like you and your kids, but the guys with the pocket protectors that play, where they have the the clock in between them. And as they make their move, they hit the clock and it starts the clock on the other side of the the play. And then he makes his move and he hits his clock and your clock begins. That's what really goes. Anyways, this is what's happening. You've got God working with the nation of Israel. They reject their Messiah. Boom! This 490-year prophecy stops. And God begins to work for almost 2,000 years now with this new group called the church. There's coming a time, friends, soon and very soon, soon and very soon, where Jesus is going to take his church home. And that clock is going to stop. The time of the Gentiles will be over. And God, again, has seven years yet to fulfill. That time period is the great tribulation, outlined Revelation 6 through 19. And what starts this great tribulation, well, verse 27 tells you, when he, speaking of this Antichrist who is to come, when he, the prince of the people who destroyed Jerusalem, the Romans destroyed Jerusalem, this Antichrist is a reemergence of this Roman Empire. Don't have time tonight, we'll get into that sometime. He is going to make a covenant with many for how long? One week. That same word, heptad, a seven-year covenant. What is the official start of the Great Tribulation period? This covenant that Antichrist will make with the world for seven years. The end of the Tribulation, Jesus Christ coming back to planet Earth. The middle of the Tribulation, well, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 
Revelation chapter 13, Daniel chapter 11, we know that this Antichrist will set up an image of himself in the temple. He'll demand to be worshipped. He will declare himself to be above all that is called God. Not just Jesus, not just Jehovah, but Allah and Buddha and, you know, whoever. (laughs) He's above all of them. And God says that event that marks the middle is something he calls the abomination that makes desolate. And Jesus in Matthew 24, you can go back there now, Matthew 24, Jesus is this abomination that marks the middle of the week, like Daniel told us. This abomination that makes desolate. When you see the abomination, Jesus says, run. Now, I think I just woke up some of you Democrats in the room. <laughs> did, you, did you just say, when you see the abomination, you need to run? Is that what you just said? I did not say that. Jesus said that. No, 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 no. Jesus, Jesus didn't say abomination. He said abomination. Very different. We're all friends here tonight. Nobody get mad, run out, have a fit. The abomination. When you see the abomination, he says, hey, pray that it doesn't happen when you're on your roof. You see, Israelis, even to this day, a lot of them have their living quarters there on the top of their roof. He says, pray you're not in your fields because it takes a long time to get home. Pray that you're not pregnant. Why? Sorry, pregnant ladies. You don't move as fast as you used to. And you will again someday when you're chasing that little one around the house. You see, he's saying, you've got to get out of there quick. Quick, quick when you see the abomination that makes desolate. You've got to get out of there quick. And why? Well, because at this time, Antichrist will unleash his fury upon the Jews. Up to this point, for that first three and a half years, he's been their defender. He's had a covenant with them. But now Zechariah tells us that two-thirds of them he is going to destroy. Two-thirds of the Jewish people will be destroyed. A destruction worse than the Romans did, even Hitler did. One-third will escape to a place that God has prepared for them. A lot of Bible scholars believe that's the rock city there in Petra, a naturally fortified city. But even there, friends, God will have to protect his people because Jesus is saying, he's telling them to run, not just because of the wrath of the Antichrist, but the second thing that breaks out for that second three and a half years, Bible students get this down, is the wrath of God starts pouring out upon the world. You see, I believe during that first three and a half years, there are certainly bad times. There's certainly judgment. But what's basically happening is man is getting his free reign. You know, we, he, the, the most human leader possible. Man's in charge. No Christian. It's perfect. So they think. The age of Aquarius has come. Oh, no. But you see, as bad as the first three and a half years will be, the second half is the time the Bible calls the time of Jacob's trouble. It's the time, verse 21 says, there will be great tribulations such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor shall ever be. You see, the last three and a half years is God pouring out his wrath. God pouring out his wrath on this Christ-rejecting world. And that last three and a half period is what the rest of the verses we read tonight, the verses 21 through 31, are outlining for you. Let's look at them. The last part of the tribulation period. I told you to go to Matthew 24, and I disobeyed. There we go. So look with me in verse 21. For then there shall be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then if anyone says to you, look, 
Here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner room, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass, there the eagles will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light the stars will fall from heaven the powers of the heavens will be shaken and the sign of the son of man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and and great glory no great glory and he will send great glory will be there too actually and he will send we're all coming back so I I hope great glory will be there. Verse 31. No, he will. Verse 31. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. The verses we just read outline the events of the second half of the great tribulation as God pours his wrath out on a Christ-rejecting world. And what I just want us to notice before we close our Bibles and wrap up tonight is really three things about the second coming that's given to us in the text. Three things that I believe as we consider them and pray them through, they can really be a tremendous blessing to our walk with the Lord. What three things? Well, number one, they'll be up on the screen, write them down, pray them in, think them through. The second coming of Jesus, we're told in this text, will be preceded by destruction. We read it, but if you want to go back and read verses 19 through 25, the first trap of the tribulation is bad. Man's getting his way. Many will die. The second half is worse. And the book of Revelation tells us it outlines 21 judgments that planet Earth will endure. 21 judgments, seven sealed judgments in Revelation chapter 6 and 7. You have the seven trumpet judgments in Revelation chapter 8 and 9. Seven bold judgments in Revelation chapter 16. And to just kind of overview tonight, what they outline for us is devastating. A third of the trees are going to be destroyed. All of the green grass is going to be destroyed. Keep mowing those lawns. I'm trying to tell my wife, you don't have to mow the lawn. Someday it's going to be destroyed. Until then, it probably should be mowed. But anyways, a third of all sea life is going to be destroyed. A third of all fresh water with the trumpet judgments and then all of the fresh water with the bowl judgments. How are we going to live without fresh water well Jesus shows up right after the last bull judgment so he'll know how to fix it don't worry about that a third of the light goes away and then comes back with a vengeance they're stinging locusts the ability to die for five months goes away goes away think about that if you get hurt bad oh oh. again rampant sores and finally the battle of Armageddon where armies of the earth will gather there in Israel turn their weapons toward God but the blood will flow to the horse's bridle we're told horrible horrible destruction Jason, I thought you said these things were going to be a blessing. Here's how I think they can be a blessing. We need to realize tonight, gang, these things are going to happen. I, I know when we talk about prophecy, I've said it before, the, the initial thing in our hearts is, oh, come on, really, really? Remember the temple. Remember the temple. So do the disciples said, what one stone will be left upon another? That's ridiculous. And it happened exactly like Jesus said it was going to happen. These things are going to happen. They're going to happen. And I believe, I could be wrong, but I believe it's this generation, you and I, it's this generation that will see these things. Hopefully not you and I during the tribulation. Get saved tonight. But 
But this generation that you're among right now, that means people we know, people you go to school with, people you work with, are going to endure these things. And that's heavy to me. You see, we get tricked by the enemy into thinking that we have so much time and even if they don't receive, it won't be that bad. And so the little ridicule that we receive, the little looks we get somehow in our minds, that's worse than that man or woman is what they're going to be faced. And I just gotta say, are you serious? You know, my neighbor might be a little obnoxious, but I don't want him to be eaten alive by stinging locusts. I'm not talking about you, Rob Nash, not at all. Some other neighbor, fictitious neighbor, might be a little bit, but I don't, I don't want that neighbor to be I mean, serious. Do you see what I'm saying? You know, our, our family might think I'm a little pushy, but I don't want them to be scorched by the heat of the sun. These things are gonna happen to be people we know. So I need to pray, I need to fast, I need to ask and seek the Lord for open doors. And when he gives them for me, I need to walk through them unashamed because this world is heading to a train wreck that they can't even begin to comprehend and I don't think we can either. Friends, we need to be ready. Do you hear what I'm saying on this? We need to stop reading our Bible like it's a book of philosophy. Oh, that's interesting. All the sea life dead. How's that gonna happen? Is it a meteor? What? It's gonna happen. I don't know if it's gonna be a meteor. It's gonna happen. How does that change you in the way you see the lost people around you? The first thing we note about the second coming of Jesus Christ is it's going to be preceded by some heavy, heavy destruction. The second thing I want you to note in verses 26 through 28 is that all are going to see it. Everyone's going to see the second coming of Jesus Christ. Everyone. You know, it's not going to be some secret affair for only a a select few. It will be obvious. I remember I was doing a chapel in this room for the Christian school years and years ago. And... uh, you, you know, the pastor trick where someone's leading worship and there's no pastor to be seen on stage. And by the time they say amen, the pastor magically appears in front of the congregation. Every kind of trip you out, it's kind of like he wasn't there. I put down a bed and there he's there. What happens? Well, I'll let you, I'm, I'm gonna give you some insider trading tonight. Here's how we do this. We walk up while you're praying. See, I already knew that. Anyways, but we walk, and again, now, 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 you know, hopefully you get better at that with time, but I remember this chapel, I was closing my eyes and praying with them as I was walking to the front, and I ran right into the live mics that were set up for me to teach on. So I just, you know, here's all these kids, Lord, glad to see, bam, bam, just all over the place. In other words, my walk to the front was anything but secret. Everybody looked up and it's like, oh, there's Pastor Jason. There he is. It wasn't a secret. And so the coming of the Lord is going to be. It is not going to be a secret. Jesus is going to appear and all will see. Keep that in mind. For today's world, you have Jehovah Witnesses who claim that, that you know they're the only witnesses to the Messiah. They believe and teach. Jesus came back in 1914 to a select group of people in New York. That's simply not true. It's not biblical. Jesus is lightning strike from the east to the west so his coming will be and by the way that's also why us as bible students we understand there's a difference between the rapture of the church and the second coming of jesus christ there's a difference between those two things no matter we can disagree on when the rapture will be whether it's before the trib during the trib after the trib you can whatever but 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 i'm saying what we do agree is there they're different events they're different events. See, the rapture is when he comes in the clouds for his church. And I believe people will explain it away. 
You know, who, who knows? I, you know, we'll get sucked up into the iCloud. I, I don't know what the excuse is going to be from the Apple Corporation when we're all gone. But the reality is there will be an excuse because the tribulation will go on for seven years, I believe. The second coming of Jesus Christ is not so. It's not so. When he comes back to the earth, he stands on the Mount of Olives. It splits in two. He basically says, how do you like me now? Here I am. There'll be no atheist in that day. No unbelievers. Only those that are consecrated to God. The second coming, it's going to be preceded by judgment. All will see him. And the last thing I want to draw your attention to tonight, and this is important, listen up. It'll be met with mixed emotions. Look again at verse 30. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will what? Mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. The world's going to mourn. There's going to be very different reactions to when Jesus comes back and sets his foot on the Mount of Olives. I'm sure for those tribulation saints, those who will get saved, those who you witness to, who are like, ah, whatever, Antichrist. All of a sudden, there's some leader in the Middle East, seven-year treaty. They're like, ah, forgive me, Lord. And, and they're gonna get saved. And there will, be, there will be multitudes, I believe, that will be saved. For seven years, if they're not put to death for their faith, it'll be a rough seven years. And when they see Jesus coming in the clouds, oh, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. But the majority of the world... Well, the Bible tells us their reaction. They're going to mourn. Why? Because they've been living for this kingdom and this kingdom alone. And for them, their time is over. They'll spend forever separated from the one they knew deep in their hearts was the one true God all along because they love this world more than the Lord. And so the second coming of Jesus Christ will not be a happy thing for them. I was reading this in the book of Exodus the other day. It's going to be up on the screen. Listen carefully. Boy, this rocked me the other day. Listen. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Just that line right there because we're always like, yeah, come Jesus, come. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord for what good is the day of the Lord to you? It'll be darkness and not light. It'll be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Or as though he went into the house and leaned his hand on the wall and a serpent bit him. Friends, I understand that we believe in the soon return of Jesus Christ for his church. I know that we teach these things and, and, and you understand and you've heard sermon after sermon on these things. But you have to search your own heart tonight and I pray that you would. Will the coming of Jesus Christ be a good thing for you? Don't just assume it will be. Will it be the culmination of everything you're living for tonight? See, for most of us, oh man, this life is hard. <laughs> Pre-tribulation, it's hard. Because <laughs> people say things. Our feelings get hurt. And there's the battle to be what God wants you to be and the enemy ripping at you constantly. There's trouble in families and there's trouble at the workplace. There's death. This world can stink at times. But you have those moments where you open up this word and you know, Lord, you're on the way. You're on the way. And you know what? The coming of the day of the Lord for you. Oh, glory. 
God, the culmination of everything I have been living for, everything I've been praying for, everything I've been expecting, Lord, there it is. But some, some are living for this world. It's just about here and now. It's just about advancing their own personal kingdom, their own personal wealth, their own personal well-being. And I've got to ask you, not because I want to be, you know, the sweaty, screaming preacher, because I love you guys with all of my heart. Will the day of the Lord be a good thing for you? You see, even if you are saved, you are saved by the blood of Jesus, but all you've lived for is the world. That, that, your, your pursuit's over. Your pursuit's over. You've wasted this opportunity to live for Jesus with all of your heart in the years that he's given you. And though, yes, you'll be rejoicing for all of eternity if you're truly saved. Man, I don't want my first thought in heaven to be like, oh, man, what a time I wasted. All the years that God gave me, I, why didn't I redeem him for his, his purpose and his kingdom? What Will the day of the Lord be for you? Friends, next week, we're going to wrap up Matthew 24. And we're going to look at what our response as believers, as disciples. Remember, this is being preached to disciples. We're going to look at what our response should be to the second coming of Jesus Christ. How it should affect the decisions we make. How it should affect our lives and our priorities. And I believe the next week's study is the most important of the three. That we see what our response should be to the radical, wonderful news, and it is wonderful. Jesus is on the way. Boy, my prayer is that would be a good thing for all of us here tonight, all of us watching online, that when we hear the Lord is coming, huh, boy, we'd say, that is a good thing for me. Because that's what I'm living for. That's what I'm looking towards. It's not this life. It's not this world. It's not the temporary setbacks and the pain. I am living for Jesus. I am living for heaven. So come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, Father, you are so good. You're so good. And the fact that any of us get to spend eternity with you, Lord, grace, grace, grace. But Lord, we can look at prophecy and can become almost Bible nerds and understand all the technicalities and what's 666 and, and that interests me as much as the next person. But the reality is, Lord, I don't think that's why you gave us prophecy. I don't think you gave us prophecy just to excite our curiosity. I think you gave us prophecy to change our character. To change what we see is what we're living for. And I pray that would happen even in our hearts tonight. Even before next week when we explore that to its fullest. Lord, I pray tonight we would meditate and ponder in our hearts. What will the day of the Lord be for us? A day of rejoicing? A day of fulfillment for everything that we have lived for? Or will it be a day of mourning? A day of regret?
But the radical thing is that we pray that you would come. As of today, you're still tearing. And I don't know whether we have one more day or one more week or one more year or whether, the Lord, I can't understand how, but maybe it's generations away. God, you've given us a season of grace to open up your word, to learn who you desire us to be and become, and to be obedient to that calling in our lives. And I pray tonight in this room you would find willing hearts from primarily those of us who do know and love you and believe in you, that our hearts would be willing to say, Lord, yes, I want to follow you and do things your way and live my life, the the remainder of the years that you have for me, for your kingdom, and not be wasting my time. And Lord, I also pray that if there would be anybody here tonight who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that tonight would be the night that they would finally give in to that work of conviction that you have already been working in their hearts. And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, and just an important moment between you and the Lord, the reality is the book of Romans lays it out. We are all sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin, it's death. It's separation from God. If if you're not right with God, you sense it already. You sense this separation. But friend, far more dangerous is the separation that will last for eternity that's coming if you don't grab a hold of the remedy that God has provided. For the good news, the gospel is that Jesus went to a cross for you. He paid the penalty for your sin and mine. And Romans 10, 9 says, you can receive that free gift of salvation if you would believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, Lord, I need you. I surrender to you tonight. And as we just wrap this up with a quiet moment before the Lord, if you need to get right with God tonight, you know you do if you do. Would you surrender to him? Would you surrender to the work that he started in your life? Just pray a simple prayer. I don't think it's the words that matter as much as the heart saying, Lord, I need you. Forgive my sin. I want what you did on the cross to count for me. You just, you cry out to him in your own words tonight. But don't leave this place the same. If you're a believer, don't leave this place the same. Give in to God and all he has for you tonight. If you haven't given your life to him, don't leave this place the same. You give in to him with all that you are tonight. God, do this work in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.